the third magpie by M.S. Clements read by Hannah Timms Episode 7 The Charlatan Tolbridge University, aged 18. Raps of rain against the bedroom window remind me I'm awake and that once again sleep has evaded me. I place a pillow over my head. Tap, tapping breaks the glass and tap, taps inside my skull, rhythmically poking me if I dare to close my eyes. The monster has joined me on the bed again and takes pleasure in my torment. With each vicious prod, the monster laughs at my inadequacies. The morning tutorial will show everyone that I'm a fraud, undeserving of my place on the course. I will be forced to leave, return home, a failure. My family, Evie, they will all see me for what I truly am, a charlatan, a pretender. I allow them to believe I'm someone I'm not entitled to be. The phone alarm beeps in the other room. Katie and Marcus are awake their movements audible from my bed. I pull the pillow tighter, trying to keep out their happiness. It doesn't work. Their lovemaking is noisy and vigorous. I cannot possibly leave the room now. I'll wait until they leave for class. Once I am alone, I'll be able to get up. No reason for embarrassment. Katie's in the bathroom. They'll both be out of the flat soon. It will be safe to leave my bedroom then. I try and close my eyes for a little bit while they have breakfast. At least get an hour's sleep before the tutorial. I'll be fit to climb out of bed with a bit more rest. I'll be fine. But the monster prods me again. Reminds me he hasn't left and that the tutorial will not be fine. It will be my unmasking, unveiling the con man for all to see. The front door slams. They are gone. Now I can leave the room. No more excuses. If I get ready now, I'll have plenty of time to go over the essay. The duvet pins me down. I can't even lift the pillow from my face. I lie in the warmth of my bed and invent reasons why this is the safer option. My hopeful logic is interrupted by a gentle knock at the door. They both left. I'm sure of it. The door slammed. My phone has beeped. It's nine o'clock. Lectures have begun. The door opens, and Marcus walks in, carrying a mug of steaming tea and a plate of toast and marmite. Come on, Finn. You'll be late if you don't get up now. His face shows disgust. He turns his head back to the open doorway to take in some unfettered air. Dirty clothes lie abandoned across the floor, and he picks his way through, placing the breakfast tray on the chair, currently pushed up against the wardrobe. He moves the papers and books which share my bed and sits next to me, handing me a cup of tea. You need to get up. You can't stay in here any more. You can't miss any more lectures he says. But I don't answer. I sip the steaming tea. You should eat something. 
He moves last night's uneaten pasture and replaces it with a plate of toast, but the sight and smell of food flips my stomach. I've got a stomach upset. It's probably best I, I stay away, just in case I give it to anyone else. You should go. You've got lectures this morning. Katie is covering for me. Look, you haven't left this room in nearly a week, and you've hardly eaten anything. I'm worried about you. Not surprising, given I have a stomach bug, I repeat. But Marcus isn't listening. He has left my bed and is opening a window. He searches my drawers for clean clothes and ignores my protestations. Get up and stop me if it bothers you so much. I lie back and pull the duvet higher, hiding him from view. You should see a doctor. Tell them what's up. They might give you something to make you feel better. It's not serious. I'll be fine. I just need a bit of rest. There's no call for a doctor. Marcus listens to me calmly before yanking back the covers from my grasp. You can either get dressed and go to the medical center here, or I ring your parents and you can explain to them why you have been lying in your own filth for the last week. I'm not prone to losing my temper. I don't want to be like Andy, but I feel the explosion of anger building up inside of me. How dare Marcus interfere? It is none of his business. If I feel like staying in bed, then I will. He's a roommate, not my mother. If he doesn't want to share, perhaps he should leave. That way we can both be happy. I am blinded by anger. Marcus isn't listening. He's heard it all before, another place, another time. He calmly sits back down on the bed, oblivious to my rage, leaving me to row with myself. Marcus pulls out his phone from his pocket and starts scrolling down the list of names. Sheehan, home, appears on the screen. He means it. He is calling my parents. Panic overtakes me. They mustn't see me like this. I must pretend for their sakes. Fine, I'll get up. Waste a doctor's time. Perhaps you'll believe them when they say it is just a bug. Finn. The rising tension had become physical, palpitations overtaking him each time he thought about the book lying on the green paper. Finn rubbed his face and looked up to see twenty pair of young eyes staring back. He'd been mid-lesson when he suddenly stopped, petrified. That class of bored teenagers eager to leave school had turned into neat rows of young girls, their feet clad in little bobby socks and their lips pursed to blow kisses at their teacher. The Lolitas disappeared, but not the constant churning of his stomach, tightening with each jerky movement of the clock-face hands. It hung on the wall facing him, and its tick-tock echoed around the room, counting down the minutes until the end of the school day, time edging him ever closer to that mansion's sitting room. The door lock clicked with the turning key, but this time Finn remained impassive and waited by the door. She was lying on the sofa, her crossed feet resting on the arm. She was wearing bobby socks. I want you to sit here. Catherine pointed to the opposite sofa. Her tutor obliged, attempting to squeeze into the farthest corner. 
It took a few seconds before Finn could even formulate any words, but he knew he must begin the session. We should start on Emma. We really need to get on. We still have another book to complete before your exam in the summer. Three books, if you count the one we're working on right now. Cat sat up, facing him. Her leg crossed over her knee, ensuring the little pink ankle sock was clearly visible. Finn fought to ignore the visual distraction. He was confused by her answer. We have finished Pride and Prejudice. Then that makes four, she replied. There was little incident during the rest of the lesson. Finn was subdued, Cat triumphant. She had control. The soprano bell of the mantle timepiece chimed for attention. Catherine flicked her eyes at the gold clock, closing her book and smiled. I know so little about you, Mr Michael. You're married. Is she an Emmy like you? He couldn't look at her, that insult cutting through him like a newly sharpened blade. My wife is a loyal Albion. A mixed marriage? How daring! Did her family disown her? She was leaning forward, eager to know more. Refusal of reply was not an option for Finn. We married before the Purity Within Marriage Directive came into effect. Divorce is considered a crime against the moral code, so we are permitted to remain married. Of course. But she's free to annul it at any time, isn't she? No reason necessary. Yes. Thursday, 3rd of December. I read Mr Michael's DIA file tonight. He's not an ordinary Immy after all. He's an MI, complete with his unique number. 568216-2-MI. Another evening and another airless lesson inside the sumptuously furnished prison cell with his beautiful young torturer. He flinched when her arms stretched across the coffee table to shut his book. Emma Woodhouse was being banished to Highbury in preparation for Cat's meddling. I read your file last night. I'm curious. So, Mr Michael isn't your name, is it? No one is interested in your name, are they? You're a digitally interned alien. Number 568216-2-MI a DIA of ministerial interest. How intriguing. Numbers and letters forming your true identity. I shan't call you Mr Michael anymore. Your number is far more unique. If the sofa could swallow him, then that is what he would have wanted. He understood what he'd signed. He was 568216-2-MI. He was a DIA. He was an alien. He was an Immy. Michael Finlay Sheehan, a name of no relevance. There existed no reason for anyone to call him Dr Sheehan, but they could call him Mr Nobody if it meant he could stay with the woman he loved. It's a public file. I have no secrets. It's a rather boring file. You've never been charged with anything. Not even the mildest of misdemeanours. 
Nobody is that perfect. Where do you hide your evil picture? In the attic. I abide by the rules set out by the programme. Are you saying I shouldn't? I should purposely break them because otherwise I might have a boring file. Cat fell back into the comfort of the sofa cushions. That's the thing. I don't think that you are that boring. She paused, examining another broken nail. Finn could only watch, tortured by the quiet nibbling of her front teeth. There, that's better. She held up her finger to show him. So, what was I saying? Honestly, I'm so forgetful these days. Oh yeah, secrets. The room had disappeared. Even Catherine had gone. The only thing Finn could see were her emerald eyes glinting back at him. Daring eyes that captured the very breath within him, inquisitor eyes reading his soul. There are secrets, aren't there? Secrets that are being withheld. A secret file where the true 568216-2-MI is hidden. Who is protecting you? Why are they protecting you? Are they actually protecting someone else? Your wife! There's no sign of her name on your file. I smell a conspiracy of silence. All thought deserted Finn. He was floundering, the netted prey desperate to return to safety. He was hot, his head hurt, he needed some air. He heard himself speak but barely remembered opening his mouth. Instinct had taken control. Miss Fry, it's too warm in here. Please may I open a window. An impromptu barbecue. Melbourne Manor House, age six. It's hot enough for a barbecue, Daddy says. Evie's friends sit in a circle talking about university exams. Mummy and Daddy lie on the sun loungers drinking wine. Andy chats to a girl called Jasmine. He plays with her long dark hair. I lays on the lawn, watching Andy and the girl laugh whispering in each other's ears. He takes her by the hand and disappears down the path towards the summer house. Evie tells me that's where Andy likes to go to discuss biology. That's stupid. He hates school. And anyway, if he wants to talk about school, why does he need to go to the summer house? It makes no sense. Evie laughs when I tell her and then kisses my head. You'll understand one day, just not too soon, I hope, she says. Who wants ice cream? Daddy stands on the patio, armed with his trusty scoop and tubs of his homemade ice cream. Mummy asks me what I'd like. The reply, as ever, chocolate. Finn, sweetheart, have you seen Andy anywhere? She adds. Think he went to their summer house. Oh, will you be a darling and tell him there's ice cream? The door to the summer house is open and I hear Andy breathless, as though he's been running. Jasmine keeps repeating Andy and, oh God. They're not at all alike. 
Andy and God. At least, I hope not. I call from the path, but get no reply. I want to go back, but I promised Mummy. I call again, but they still don't hear me. Their funny talking just continues. I edge nearer and peer inside. I cannot take my eyes off my brother, his bare bottom moving back and forth. My laughter makes Andy turn. Where are your shorts, Andy? Jasmine screams and I run. I don't know why, but I do. I can hide among the trees by the brook. Andy's swearing he'll kill me. He is so angry. He, he's always angry with me. My flip-flops slide on the grassy slope that leads to the brook and I slip. I land heavily and roll down the slope. My arm hurts. I want to stop running, but Andy keeps shouting. What have I done? He grabs my t-shirt and pulls me up. He doesn't care that I'm crying. I tell him that I'm sorry and my arm hurts. I want Evie, but Andy is dragging me away. Away from Evie, down the slope, further and further down towards the water. Finn. There was only one area where there existed no distinction between Loyal Albion and a DIA, attendance at the Sunday church services. The Church of New Albany was fully integrated within the Ministry of Moral Conduct, the monitored sermons a way of disseminating the latest beliefs to the faithful. Attendance was recorded, a means of checking on the DIA population within any given parish. Finn loathed it. Even though there was no obligation to attend as a couple, Sophie always accompanied Finn to the early morning service. A steady stream of parishioners headed to their allocated place of worship, mostly DIAs going to the first service after the end of their curfew, that extra early start to complete their obligations before heading off to their menial jobs, to clean, to cook, to serve. The couple stood at the bottom of a flight of wide stone steps which led to the fairly new purpose-built church. Finn was nervous. Every Sunday a repeat of the previous week. The same build-up of tension, the same pain radiating from the back of his neck. The same overwhelming desire to run away. Sophie's reassuring voice whispered words of gobbledygook. You might have to be here, but who cares if you're listening or not? He replied with his programmed weak smile. He needed her hugs, her touch, her kisses. But none of that would be possible. Not there, not in front of the church. He watched her smile disappear as she spotted the absent flag pin on his lapel, the show of loyalty displayed proudly by patriots and DIAs alike. It was the fifth pin he'd contrived to lose in as many months. While Sophie delved into her handbag to locate yet another spare, he thought up a devious plan to dispose of it. That pin would accidentally fall into a patch of hemlock growing off the side of the lane by the cottage. That fleeting, pleasant thought was interrupted by Sophie. See you out here after, OK? He nodded before glancing over his shoulder towards the guard waiting at the DIA entrance. Finn's bangle read. He climbed the narrow staircase to the balcony that ran around the church before taking up his usual position, close to the wooden screen. A display of patriotic workmanship, the screen consisted of wooden panels pierced with depictions of flora and fauna 
and served a useful purpose. Those behind the screen could be educated in the wisdom and supremacy of the church through the mouthpiece of the officially appointed reverend, while at the same time, Albions channeled their patriotism without having the discomfort of viewing DIAs in their temple. Finn's favoured location gave him the advantage of being able to see Sophie through the little holes. Sophie knew where he would be and always glanced up to that panel, her husband remaining hidden from view. The bell rang and the choir filed out, followed by the Reverend Peters. In Finn's opinion, that corpulent pastor of perverse piety conceivably held the record for the most tedious sermons on the planet. A man who would not think twice about spending two hours droning on about the need to eradicate dandelions from the garden. A weed-infested lawn, a sure sign of the owner's moral degeneration, whose own corruptive nature would spread like those weeds to the innocent souls surrounding him, victims of another's indolence. Finn had spent that sermon lost in his memories. A child playing with Evie in a beautiful dandelion-filled meadow, the bright yellow heads lifting their spirits. They blew seed heads into the summer sky and made childish wishes for the seeds to carry away on the breeze. The choir began to sing, and Finn let the music enter his body to transport it somewhere else. Floating away like those dandelion seeds. Somewhere beautiful, somewhere into his past. Finn sat on a wall a short distance from the church. Some passing DIAs acknowledged him, but none had the time nor courage to stop and chat. He watched Sophie walking towards him, talking to a tall man, Henry. Finn balled his fists when he saw the doctor place his hand on Sophie's arm, touching her, talking to her, smiling at her. He kissed Sophie on the cheek, sending surging jealousy and resentment coursing through Finn. When Henry sauntered off to the waiting car, there was no cheery smile for his employee's husband. Shall we go? I have a nice bit of chicken from the butcher's. I think I'll do a casserole. It's getting so cold now. Sophie stood by him, unaware of the turmoil that the little scene had caused her husband. Why do you let him touch you? Sorry, darling, what did you say? I said, why do you let him touch you? Every week, you come out of church together, chatting, and then he kisses you. I'm your husband. I am not allowed to kiss you in public. I can't even hold your hand when we're out. Why should he be allowed to do that? It's not right. Simmering anger giving his words a petulant edge. Sophie gave him a resigned look, pulling on her scarlet gloves. We were just talking about work. Henry has a full day tomorrow with the vaccination programme. He asked me to do an extra hour after my shift. He's my boss. I had to say yes. The kiss was just that, a goodbye peck on the cheek. Meaningless. When we get home, 
I'll show you what a meaningful kiss is if you want. Thank you for listening to this production of The Third Magpie. To support our work, please consider buying or gifting a digital copy of The Third Magpie from Amazon or post a review on Goodreads. Register at pageupbooks.co.uk to stay in touch with future projects. That's pageupbooks, P-G-U-P, like the key on your keyboard, P-G-U-P, books.co.uk. Thank you.